Acts chapter 16, and of course, as we've been doing with all of these, we've not necessarily been uh, reading the whole chapter, but we'll, we'll definitely grab the context out of it. Acts chapter 16, I want us to look at verse 16 tonight. It says, Now it happened that as we went to prayer, a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did so for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that the hope of their prophet were gone, they seized Paul and Silas and drugged them, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Then they brought them to the magistrates and they said, These men, being Jews, they exceedingly trouble our city. This is where we get our phrase, fire starters, from. They started fires everywhere they went. These men do exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitudes rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison. He fastened their feet in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And then suddenly, there was a great earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakened from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to fall on it or to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light. He ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when they had brought them into his house, he sat food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this word. And I pray that you would just speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, tonight... We're going to continue. That was a rather long passage. We want to get our context. But tonight, we're going to continue um, in this series of fire starters, looking at Acts chapter 16, uh, verse, or chapter 17, rather. Next week is going to be really, really interesting. So make sure you read ahead and, and uh, get some, uh, some in, insight into that, and then we'll jump into that together. But tonight, we're going to look at a subject that I think will be a blessing to everybody in this room because everybody has been through dark seasons. Uh, everybody has been through heartache, hardship, hard time. You've got news that was troubling. There have been situational things happening in families that, that kind of jar you for a second. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about finding praise in the midst of pain. Finding praise in the midst of pain. Um, a lot of times when we think about praise, right, we think about the happy, the shouting, the, 
the, uh, you know, the dancing and all of those things. And all of those things collectively do make up or entail what we call praise. But praise is much greater than that. Actually, when you start dealing with praise and worship from a scriptural standpoint, there are a lot of different words that enact in, in and enable what it, what it means to praise God. There's some words that mean to, to dance around emotionally. There are other words that mean to shout violently. There are other words that, that mean uh, to, to blast like a trumpet. There are so many different things that entail praise. But no matter what we find out about praise, what we have to come to the conclusion is, is that God, no matter what is happening, is worthy of praise. That's where we have to get to. That has to be our foundation in the middle of everything we're going through in life. God is worthy of praise. Now, I know this because it's human nature, but I know this for a matter of fact. Cash this check, take it to the bank, you can deposit it, it will be good. People have great um, uh, ability, right? People have an easy time praising God when everything is going good in their life. When your bills are paid, when you're making what you want to make, when all of your kids are clicking on the same cylinder, right? When everything is lined up and all of the stars and the galaxies are aligned just right and there's no crazy full moon and nobody's acting crazy, everybody seems to have the ability to praise God. But what we've got to realize is that our trust and our faith in God is often proved in the adversities of life. Here's what I need you to know. That a faith that is not tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. I have heard a lot of people through the years talk about how they believe God and how they trust God and all of these things. And the first time adversity hits their life, they crumble like last week's cookie. Because they've been uh, taught that, you know, nothing bad will ever happen and blah, 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 and all this stuff. When, of course, when we look at the Scripture, we look at Acts, we look at the apostles, and we see the, the persecution and the suffering and the, the wrongful accusation and the imprisonment and all of the things that they've gone through. We understand that life as a Christian is not all a bed of roses. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. This world is not our home. We're just passing through, right? We used to talk a lot about that. We used to sing a lot about that. This world is not my home. I am just passing through. And I think that sometimes the reason why it becomes difficult for us to praise God in the middle of adversity is because we have become too much in love with this world. But the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For the things that are in of the world are temporal but the things of God are eternal. And folks, we've got to realize that come hell or high water, come adversity or trouble, God is an anchor that cannot be shaken. Psalm was written over and over by David and others. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. There's safety, there is security and strength. 
whenever we call on the name of the Lord. When I was thinking about this passage and getting into this teaching tonight, the Lord reminded me of a scripture that I haven't looked at in quite some time. Be honest with you, um, it's just not one that I've really studied. But he took me back a few years ago when this passage really stood out to me. In fact, I, I had to go back and search for it and remember where it was. But I want you to look in this little bitty book with me. and you, It's on the screen. It's not in the notes. It's on the screen. But uh, you can also turn in there with your Bible tonight. Habakkuk chapter 3. And I want to read this with you. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse number 17 and 18. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. I want you to notice the words of Habakkuk. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom, and nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I want to read that one more time. And I want you to understand what is going on in the days of Habakkuk as he's prophesying to Israel. There's, there's times that things are happening. There's famine in the land. There's different things. And I want you to notice what he says here. It, my Bible has a subheading on top of it, and it calls it a hymn of faith. Look at this. It says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor its fruit be on the vine, though the labor of the olive may fail, and in the fields there be no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stall, he said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. What was Habakkuk trying to say? No matter what's going on, no matter what it looks like, no matter what my circumstances are telling me, I will conscientiously make a determination to rejoice in the Lord my God because he is worthy of my praise no matter what is going on in my life. Come on, that's, that's difficult but that's a new level of faith that we have to get to. Because, folks, let me tell you something. The devil, though he does come to steal, kill, and destroy, there's one thing that he loves to do. He loves to try to steal our song. He loves to try to steal our praise. Most of the church, he's stolen their shout. You know, in Pentecostal churches, they used to be shouting churches. Now you can hear a church mouse most times. Because people have lost the shout. But the Lord our God is mighty in battle. And he always causes us to triumph in Christ. No matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, we have to choose to take a posture of praise in our life. It's difficult. I'm not telling you it's easy. It's difficult. Uh, I love this one verse in the book of uh, Thessalonians, and I, again, I'm just going out of, out of my spirit. I don't have it on the screen, but I love what Paul said. In all things, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Notice that. In all things, give thanks, for this is the will of God. People, what is the will of God for you to be thankful? In all things, give thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, give thanks for all things. We're not thankful for bad things. We're not thankful for trauma. We're not thankful for tragedy. He said, but in the middle of it, in all things, give thanks. 
Can I tell you why? Because in the middle of your tragedy, in the middle of your crisis, in the middle of your pain, the devil wants us to magnify and focus on the problem and the conflict. The, the problem with that, though, is that the devil has no power to fix your circumstance. He has no power to fix your situation. But there is a power locked up with praise that when you praise God, even when you don't feel like it, come on, somebody, God is able to intervene in your situation. But notice I said when you don't feel like it. Can I just tell you tonight that when you don't feel like it is when you actually need to the most. Amen. I challenge some of y'all. Some of y'all need to come in on Sunday morning and sit on the first row or two. Get around these teenagers. Get around some of these adults. And, and, and you say, well, I don't feel like it. Let the Holy Ghost make you feel like it. Amen. He, listen, there's something about giving God a crazy praise when life doesn't make sense. I know, I know, I hear you, Pastor. You, you just don't understand. Well, I may not understand everything, and all of our circumstances are different. Get that, right? All of our circumstances are different. The problem is a lot of times we like to take our circumstances and compare them to other people's circumstances and make our circumstances worse than everybody else's. How selfish and uncompassionate is that? Unempathetic to think that everything in our lives is worse than everybody else's. The truth is, I'm just going to be honest with you, everybody has some type of issue, problem at life in some circumstance. Even if you're not the issue, you're being affected by the issue, whether you want to be affected by the issue or not. So we have to learn how to praise God in the middle of all of that or else we begin to lose ground. Now, let me tell you a story. Some of you may know this, you may not. I'm sure most of you do. But several years ago, I was grading papers at the Louisiana District School of Ministry. That is a uh, credentialing program that they, they have, that most states have. We have it here in our state, too. Some of our students are doing that this next year. But um, where you can take your classes to get your credentials with the Assemblies of God. And because we live 30 miles from our campground at that time, uh, I was uh, pretty easy labor. So my wife worked at the, the district office, and so I would, uh, I would go and grade papers. You know, they'd take the test on Romans or ethics or whatever it is, and I'd grade it. Well, you know, I was over in a, in a room full of uh, teachers, and I was grading papers when all of a sudden just pain, like sharp pain hit me right here in my stomach. Debilitating would be a word that would be an understatement. Um, it was a growing pain. Not like growing pain when you get tall, but meaning that it, it intensified. The only way I can explain it, this is going to sound so silly, but you have to know how my brain works. How many of you have ever eaten a ghost pepper before? Anybody? You know, it's not that hot when you first bite it, but then it kind of grows into the heat. That's how the pain was. It started out real mild, and it just went boom. And so anyway, I, uh, I went home that night about 11 o'clock, laid on our couch, and, and prayed and was really, really doing my best to get the victory. And, and anyway, I'd wake up in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep. Well, we lived um, about a, one and one-tenth of a mile from the closest hospital. And my wife, being a good wife, she said, why don't you go and just get that checked out? So I did. And uh, anyway, through the ER, they, the guy looked at it, and he's like, hey, you got some kind of problem here. I don't know what's going on, but uh, you need to go see somebody first thing in the morning. 
So Monday morning, I was, because that was Saturday, nobody was open on Sunday, so they took me to the urologist. The, the urologist opened up my chart, looked at it, and he whisked me down the hall immediately to do a CAT scan, strapped to a cold table, died through my veins, felt it burn all the way through my body. And he, the, the radiologic technician said, um, this is one of the best urologists in central Louisiana. He reads all of his own x-rays. Um, and CT scans and MRIs, he'll talk to you in just a moment. Well, he looked at it. I saw him through a glass. He looked at it. They looked at each other, and then all of a sudden, he darted out the door. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? I thought he was coming to talk to me. Then the technician comes in and says, well, sir, uh, you can go home. I said, well, no, no, no. I said, I thought he was coming in to talk. He said, well, uh, he said he needed to talk to some people first. He said, you need to come back tomorrow so I said, okay. So anyway, long story short, I go back the next day and find out that I have a mass on the side of my left kidney, inside of my left kidney, the size of a grapefruit. When they shot the dye through it, it lit up like a fireworks show all through it, which means that it had a blood supply. It had life growing on the inside of it. And according to uh, the Mayo Clinic, a renal cyst that has a lifespan in that is like 99.9% kidney cancer. Problem is, where it was located in my kidney, they couldn't biopsy it because it was too far in there. So, you know, you can live without part of your kidney, right? They can like saw uh, like a third of it off or whatever, and you can live without it. But they weren't even where they could do that. So this doctor was like, hey, we're going to just have emergency surgery tomorrow, and we're going to take out your kidney. Now, how many of you know that's pretty funny? But wasn't funny for me. So, finally, they talked and they said, we're going to give it six months. We're going to see if it grows. We're going to see if it whatever. And we come back and we look at it. Well, how many of you know when a doctor looks at you and says, well, yeah, it's probably cancer, but we're going to look at it in six months? That freaks most people out. But I'm going to be honest with you. This lady right here will tell you I'm not lying. It didn't faze me one bit. You know what I said? So, I had family members call me. Well, what about this? You still going to Africa? What if this happens? Huh? So, but it's cancer. So, it's just a word. Right? It's just a word. In times of trouble and trial, even, you listen, I still have pain in my body. It still hurt. I'm not lying to you. I'm not a fake it till you make it kind of person. I'm not going to look at you and say, it don't hurt, it don't hurt, it don't hurt. The whole time I'm crying in pain. No, it hurts. It hurt. But I stayed in faith and I stayed in praise. And God has a sense of humor. We were having a women's district women's meeting in our church, and because I was the pastor, I stayed to host it. And uh, I sat in the back and made sure the air conditioner was working. And, and uh, they had this, this stuttering evangelist who stuttered except for when he preached. Kind of funny. But uh, gave an altar call at this women's conference for healing. I'm sitting on the back row. And he said, uh, anybody need healing? Come to the front. Emotional, physical, doesn't matter, trauma, whatever. And, you know, uh, that pride starts rising up in you. I'm not coming up there. It's an altar call for women. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, do you want to receive your healing or not? And I said, okay. So I was the first one to go up there. And when he prayed, he prayed for me. My wife was not in town. Her brother was getting married that weekend. And, 
And um, when he prayed for me, I, I call me crazy if you want to. I have medical records to prove it. I felt it leave my body. I did. When he prayed for me, I felt it literally just, just like God supernaturally opened up my body, took it out. So I still had a couple of months, though, before I had to go back. That was at the three-month mark. I had three more months. So the whole time, I've got family. Uh, what about this? I said, you know, hey, I'm healed. I know God healed me. Well, yeah, but how do you know? Because I know. I mean, you know, I just know. I know. Well, yeah, but, you know, they could be wrong. Huh? I said, yeah, but, you know, it could be right too, you know. Hallelujah. So, anyway, I had the devil whispering in my ear. Well, you know, it, maybe it's still there and whatever. And so, when they brought me back in, and you, if you heard this story, it's, it's pretty cool. When they brought me back in, and they re-ran it, they, they, they said, we, we will call you. Well, they never called me. And if you know me, patience is not one of my virtues. I want stuff done a week from yesterday. Like, I, I'm just that way. I try to work on it. I know it's a fault. I'm very impatient. I'm, I'm impatient in the car. I have lead foot. Amen. A lot of things. So, I mean, I'm working on it. God's working on me. Confession, John Wesley says, good for the soul. So, I'm just bearing my heart for you tonight. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, when it comes to medical stuff, they always say, what, no news is good news? Not for me. I want to know something. So I called, and um, they, they said, well, Dr. Bass wants to see you, but here's what I can tell you. There's nothing there but a small scar. And the nurse said, it looks like somebody already surgically cut it out. That's what they said. That's on my, on my record. And so, anyway, went back in, and this dude's a Baptist, and Baptists love Jesus, but they're typically not into uh, cessationalism or, the, or a continuationism, which is the belief of the continuing of the gifts of the Spirit, you know. They just typically don't believe that. You know, they, they do believe God heals every once in a while by happenstance or whatever, but they're not typically the pray in faith, anoint with oil, lay hands on the sick, whatever. So um, I, I was sitting across the aisle from this doctor, and I said, tell me, was this a miracle or not? He said, oh, it definitely was. And so for a Baptist doctor to admit that was a big deal. But what am I trying to say? I just wanted to use a personal experience tonight, and I got to get on in my, in my text tonight, but I got to get on, on this. I wanted to share with you that, you know, talking about finding praise in the midst of pain, there, there are times I, I wanted to cry about it, you know, because the enemy comes into your emotions. He comes into your circumstances. He says, this is it. It's the end. Everything you've preached, uh-huh. People are going to see you don't really believe it, uh-huh. Look at this. Look at that. But I'm telling you, if we stay with it, God will always come through. Now, Acts chapter 16, I took a long time to share that. I wasn't planning on sharing that. The Lord only knows why I shared that. Maybe it blessed somebody here tonight. But let me uh, encourage you. So in the middle of this situation, Paul and Silas are, you know, they're, they're, they're just stirring up trouble. This little de uh, demon-possessed girl uh, comes behind him, and she says, These are the men of the Most High God who are showing to us the way of salvation. Now, you may be sitting here tonight and say, What in the world is wrong with that? What she was saying was true. She, what she was absolutely saying was true. Her motive of saying it was wrong. Her motive was to expose them, to cause them to be beaten and persecuted. It was mocking almost. And so Paul, annoyed, vexed, through the discerning of spirits, recognized that that was a demonic entity. He cast the spirit out, obviously. That spirit left her. Now she didn't have the ability to read fortunes and palms or tarot cards, whatever she was doing, and she couldn't do it anymore. And so the word got back to her master, and 
they got upset. So they took these men and they took them to prison. Now, we have a prison chaplain here tonight, and um, I think he would testify to you that the type of prisons we have today are not the types of prisons they were in in those days. Absolutely. Now, I, I, I was on a trip one time, and my friend and I, we took a stopover in Rome, and they told us it was the prison Paul was in. You know, sometimes you wonder if it really was, really not. The people, they all agree that was the spot. But I tell you, it was anything but a holiday inn. Now, you know, um, this is not the same prison that he was in in Rome, but it was probably very similar. Uh, there was no three hots in a cot. There was no toiletries given in a clean sheet and a pillow. Um, no, it was a dark hole most of the time. A little bit of sunlight coming in, sometimes none at all. Sometimes it was an old cistern that had been broken up, and they used it as a dungeon. And these disciples were thrown in there. So tonight, really quick, I'm going to go quickly. Number one, I'll talk to you about the pain of the prison. The pain of the prison. First of all, here's some pain that was in the middle of their prison. They were, they were incarcerated for doing the right thing. You know, it's one thing to go to jail when you've broke the law or when you've stolen or you've murdered somebody or you've, you've hurt somebody, but these disciples weren't doing anything but preaching the good news of the gospel and, and trying to share Christ, and, and all of a sudden it got them in jail. Which brings me to my little sub-thought tonight that we also have to wrestle with in this world. Good things happen to bad people. But also opposite, bad things happen to good people. And this is what we have right here. In the pain of this prison, these good, godly men found themselves in a dark place. It says they were beaten with stripes. Most people believe that these would have been the same type of lynchings or beatings that, that Christ would have endured. These were Romans. It was Roman soldiers who whipped Christ from the cross. So I want you to think about the cat of nine tails that Jesus was beaten with and how literally just lash upon lash, and they had hooks, metal hooks and, and barbed wires that would rip. I don't mean to be graphic. It's just the truth. Rip into the flesh, and when they would pull it back, it would just rip the skin wide open, sometimes pulling off things with it. Totally, totally graphic, I know. But these disciples were in the middle of pain. Another thing we have to realize, looking at the wordage, it says they were cast into the prison. That means they weren't escorted nicely by a little guard who uncuffed their handcuffs and uncuffed their stocks and said, okay, guys, we'll check on you here in a little bit. No, this was police brutality way back in the day. And they took the disciples and they, they roughhoused them. They probably mocked them all the way in, and they threw them on the inside and shut the door. They placed their feet in stocks where they couldn't move, and they began to do these things. And, and Paul and Silas were not the only ones in this prison. There were other people there. The jailer there was watching guard. These were men who were wanted, you know. They, uh, they had their eye on them. But what you've got to understand is in this culture, whenever... A guard was given oversight of a prisoner. If the prisoner came up missing, the guard had to pay. And that's why he was willing to kill himself. When he thought Paul and Silas had took off and left, it's the same reason why 
um, you know, they guarded the tomb of Jesus so, so securely. You know, they just want to make sure that the, the prisoners or those that they have captured are, are not, you know, lost. And so what we have to see is that this guy was sitting here watching, and it was midnight. The Scripture tells us that it was midnight. Now, they tell us midnight is the darkest hour of the night. Now, I think that that is in here for a reason, uh, because this was the darkest moment in their night. You know, you may not have a dark moment like this, but perhaps there's been a dark moment in your life. And I'm not speaking bad, ill, or out of faith or anything, but perhaps there are those of us in this room that are serving Jesus. We've yet to face that darkest moment. What I'm telling you and about to tell you in a few moments could possibly prepare you for that moment. What did they do in the pain of the prison? Did they complain? Did they murmur? Did they curse God? What would some of us have done if that were us? Some of us would have put our hands on our hips, and we would have rolled our eyes and our neck, and we would have sassed the Lord. Don't you know what I've done for you, God? Don't you know the churches I started for you? Don't you know the offerings I've given? Don't you know how many people I baptized? We would have started re reading our resume. But that's not what Paul and Silas did. What did they do? Instead of complaining, instead of criticizing God and charging him with wrong, you know what they did? The Bible says at midnight, number two is the, the, their praise in the prison. The Bible says instead of complaining, they prayed, and they sang hymns to God. They welled way down deep on the inside and found a song. They found a song deep in the recesses of their heart. And can I tell you something? Uh, praise and worship are both supposed to be offerings that we give to the Lord. Now, a lot of times worship, especially in the Old Testament, would have been an offering of some sorts. You remember when David messed up, he blew it, and, and he, he numbered Israel. God said, don't go out and number them. Just trust me, I'm your God. Even though Israel's small, I'm bigger than those people. And, and David just couldn't handle it. He had to go see how many soldiers and tanks and, and armies they had and how many soldiers. And, and, and it angered the Lord. And, and God's vengeance was on Israel. And, and David recognized the Lord. Don't punish the whole nation. It was me. And so David decided he was going to give the Lord an offering. So he goes to Onan the Jebusite's house who has a threshing floor and all the oxen and all of the tools. And, and, and uh, David's got all of his resources and all of his money. And he goes and he, he tries to say, you know, look, I'm going to buy the oxen. I'm going to buy the threshing floor. And, and, and Onan, being a good man, being an honorable man, looking up to King David. He says, no, 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 no. You're the king, man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to charge you for anything. You know, sometimes people you really respect, you really love, they try to buy something from you, and you say, no, 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 I want you to have it. That was the situation that was going on. He said, no, you're the king. I can't charge you for that. I can't do that. And I love what David said. He said, I cannot offer the Lord that thing that costs me nothing. And I have to ask myself the question, how many times do we go through the motions of praise and worship, and it really doesn't come from a place of cost in our life. True praise 
and true worship comes from a, pray, a place of cost. And so this wasn't a cheap praise in this moment. This was a moment where all, anything that could be breaking loose in their life could be breaking loose. In fact, they, they likely didn't even know if this were going to be their final hours. But in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of the loneliness, what did they do? They found a song in their hearts, and they began to praise God. Now, let's go back to our text really quick. I'm hurrying. Verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And notice, and the prisoners were listening to them. Can I give you a little bit of a nugget of truth? Look at this story. Paul and Silas were believers. The jailer and the prisoners at this point were not. But can I tell you something? Let this be a challenge to you. Let it be... um, correction to you if it needs to be but unbelievers are watching how you go through hardship and they're looking to see if the God you say you serve is really real now I know that's weighty and I know that's hard for us to realize but the truth is in the middle of this moment all eyes were on them the prisoners were listening to them but notice what he says and suddenly Everybody say suddenly. There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Number three, real quick, I want to look at the product of the prison. The product of the prison. Notice that in the darkest hour they begin to praise. And their praise was being listened to by everybody else. I want you to think about that. Next time you come to church and we're praising God, and we're worshiping God. I want you to realize that what you're doing is not for a show. Everybody say it's not for a show. It's not for a show. But it should be visible. And I want you to notice that the person standing to the right of you, to the, to the left of you, or even behind you, could be going through something and watching you and your praise could be encouraging them. But notice this, in the middle of midnight, in the darkest hour, the Bible says they begin to pray and praise, and suddenly. Here's where I need you to get excited just a little bit. It can be your darkest hour. It can be the most difficult thing you have ever gone through. But in a moment with praise, suddenly everything can turn around. Suddenly, everything can turn around. Say, well, Pastor, I don't know about that. Yeah, I do. The Bible says the Holy One of Israel sits enthroned upon the praises of his people. One translation says he inhabits the praises of his people. God is everywhere at, at all times. We understand that, okay? That's the doctrine of, of uh, omnipresence. But what we're talking about, we've talked about this before, is the manifest presence of God. When he shows up and you can feel him. How many of you know that sometimes God can show up in a dark moment and you can feel him? 
You can be all alone in your car, driving down the road, in the bed at night, crying your eyes out because your spouse is is threatening divorce. No matter what is going on in your life, you can be in the darkest moment, but just an, an ounce of praise can shift that environment suddenly. And I want you to notice what happens. Suddenly, there was an earthquake. Because before God got them out of the prison, God got in the prison with them. Woo-wee, that's good stuff. He got in the prison with them. You know God's not afraid to get in your prison? You know why he's not afraid to get in your prison? Because there were other people in that prison too. And the effects of the praise of a few led to the deliverance of many. Ooh, you missed a good spot because what you do doesn't just affect you. It affects other people. And I want you to notice this, that their chains were loosed. And, and notice now the jailer is like, uh, whew, he's, he's, he's fretting. He is like upset. Like, where did these guys go? And Paul hollers out and says, don't fear, don't fret, don't take your life. We're here. And all of a sudden, this jailer recognizes how God has moved in his life. And he says, Maybe this, there is something to this God thing. What must I do to be saved? And they said, you just need to believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your house. And the scripture, we read it later, they went to the man's house and those who were in his household were saved. And apparently the Lord thought it was important enough for them to be baptized. They did it pretty quickly. They went and got baptized. But it was interesting. There's one little small thing I want to I dig out of here before we leave tonight. I want you to look at verse 35 with me. We didn't go this far in our, in, our, in our reading, and it's not on the screen, but I want you to read it with me, and then we're going to close. And when it was day, in other words, they hung out with this, you know, these, these folks for the evening. When it was day, the magistrate sent the officers saying, let those men go. And so the keeper of the prison reported those words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, notice this, go in peace. Let's don't make a big deal about this. You know, they beat them openly. They made a mockery of them in the town square. They were beaten for preaching the name of Jesus. And now God has set them free. And the enemy tries to say, now y'all just get on out of here and be quiet. You know the devil really hadn't changed too much. Because some of y'all have been free for a long time. The devil says, just be quiet about it. Don't shout. Don't share testimony. Don't holler about it. But you know what Paul said? He said, I refuse for you to put me in here openly and for me to leave quietly. If I came in here like a wrecking ball, I'm going to leave like a wrecking ball. And you know when God delivers us, we got to make some noise about it. Why? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. You can close your Bible tonight. Here's my encouragement to you. Here's my final words. In the middle of some of night's darkest moments, when all hope seems lost, when it feels like, notice I said when it feels like, when it feels like 
God is a million miles away. You need to know that's not true. The scripture says, I will never leave you. That's to the believer. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Okay? He said, I will always be with you. But when you feel like God is far away, one of the ways that God has provided for us to feel his nearness is through praise. Hallelujah. Go ahead and stand up on your feet tonight. This sermon has had five back doors. Let me close one more time. This wasn't just a cute little teaching. And this isn't a a church altar call response. None of this happened in the synagogue. It happened at the place. Some of us do okay praising God in the church house. But can you praise him wherever you are? You say, well, I don't want anybody to think I'm crazy. Well, they're bound up too. So you just praise God and both of you will get free. Amen. And I just want to, I just want to, I just want to encourage you tonight. You don't need my permission, but I'm just, I'm just as the pastor and as a pastor and as a representative of the Lord, I just want to encourage you tonight. Let your praise loose.